Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. For logbook servicing you can rely on, you need to make the right choice. You need trained professionals who are fully qualified to service your car according to manufacturer's specifications. For real peace of mind and a nationwide warranty, book in or book online at repcoservice.com. Okay, it is one o'clock. A very good afternoon. Welcome into SENZ. Ben Francis, this is a rugby show, not a rugby league show, my good man. Love the song, but it's more sort of uh, 1990s rugby league. I put you under pressure. Under pressure. Anyway, my co-host for the next uh, hour and a half, we are taking your calls on 0800 150 live from Melbourne, all black. Great Justin Marshall. Afternoon to you, Justin, or good morning, I should say. Yeah, actually, I was just about to say which one it was, actually, Mark. Yeah, uh... Welcome everybody. I hope you're all having a, a very nice Sunday. And um, yeah, it's been a bit of a full-on weekend, to be perfectly honest, Wada. Yeah, two very good games last night. We'll touch on those and two very good games to look forward to this afternoon. Look, Justin, I, I just want to say this to you genuinely. I, I don't really know you. Um, I've been in the commentary game myself and I know that commentary is always subjective. But I do want to say, mate, I thoroughly enjoy you as a commentator. I like your energy, but more importantly, I do like your analysis. And I thought some of the stuff that you said last night in terms of the Blues needing to change it up against the Drawer, and then they ended up doing it was very insightful. So look, um, it is subjective. I'm not one for criticising commentators because I've been in that game. Um, I understand what it's like. But yeah, I just want to say, look, I, I do thoroughly enjoy you as a commentator. Oh, thank you very much, mate. I appreciate that. Um, you know, look, I've got a real passion for the game. Um, you know, obviously, every now and then you're, you're going to have your moments. But in general, like uh, what I am as a fan of the game as well. And I was very lucky to, to get to where I did uh, with the boots on. Um, and now that the boots are not on anymore, uh, I feel very privileged to work like I do uh, with Sky and be able to go and still go into the, the, the stadiums and be in the big arena and... Um, sort of know what it's like to be a player and be out there and, and you kind of get a bit of a feel for what the players are going through or what the fans want to see. And, um, you know, every now, every now and then, as you, as you very well know, you, 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 uh, you go through the experiences kind of uh, like the players do. And, you know, you, you only want the best for the game, really, yeah. at the end of the day. You want the game to be a spectacle, you want the game to be entertaining and you want the fans and everybody out there to enjoy it. And... Um, you want to be able to sit there uh, and and see, you know, quality quality rugby, and um, you know, I certainly feel that uh, I, I try to add that and and try to give a bit of an insight as to what, as a player, you'd be thinking in certain situations, uh, or what you would try to do to change the game up. Um, having been out there myself, and you know, mate, I, I couldn't ever get it right. Every time as a player, you know, no. that, 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 that happens. Um, but, 
you know, I'm, I'm very lucky to do what I do, I think. Yeah, but I think that passion comes through. And people have also got to realise this at the end of the day is entertainment as well. And you've got to be engaging. And I think you do do that. Well, there was just a situation there last night, I think, when the Blues were camped on their five metre line. Um, we expected the rolling mall. And I think you said, look, I wonder whether the Blues need to vary this and maybe go off the back of the line out. And they did exactly that. And um, that's that insight that only a player with your experience and somebody who's in a halfback um, can probably pick. And, yeah, it's just something that resonated with me. So well done on that. Um, Justin, I guess probably like a lot of people, I was actually surprised yesterday by the physicality and just how well the Fiji and Drua played. I mean, a lot of people sitting here this morning and sort of bagging the blues, but I think credit needs to go to the Fiji inside. Yeah, I certainly think so. Like, they certainly fronted. And... Let's think about it. Um, and I thought Bowden Barrett's interview after the game was really insightful. Like, um, he just—he's just really mature now, Bowden. He's been—he's been around the game for so long. Uh, and when we, when we interviewed him after the game, I thought he—he he hit it pretty much bang on. He said, "Look, it's really, really hard to prepare for playing a team like Fiji." And he actually said. I, we experienced it last year, which he did with the All Blacks when they played Fiji. And he said, look, as much homework as you can do, they're always going to do the unpredictable. <laughs> and, and you can't actually prepare for that. So you've got to respect that and you've got to go into the game knowing that things will happen out of your control because as much analysis as you can have, you know, that Fijian flair, that natural instinct to play the game, will somehow bite you at times and you've just got to be prepared for that and you've got to get into the grind and what they probably weren't expecting was that level of intensity for 80 minutes uh, that the, 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 the Drua really entered into it in a way that they felt what we can't do and I thought again another person that we spoke to uh, in the game which when I when I listened to him speak I thought mm, okay and we've had him on as a guest a few times uh, on the Sunday was Glenn Jackson and, and he said he was actually asked the question, uh, you know, while you guys are probably, you know, you've been deep in your own half, you haven't got the territory, you know, you maybe might think about playing in other areas of, of the of the field for the second half. And, and he said, yeah, but really reluctant to kick the ball to, to the Blues and let them dictate the game. And we don't really want them to counterattack. So it made me think mindset-wise, what they were thinking was, look, most likely we're not going to beat this team. Mm. The only way we can can compete is to play the way that we naturally, instinctively, usually play the game. We certainly can't become a team that is uh, within our shells. Can't kick them the ball. We can't be predictable. We've just got to be ourselves. And when they played that way, which they did for the entire game, and they played that way across the whole 100 metres of the rugby field, it, it, it was something that the Blues couldn't prepare for. And you have to give credit to the way that they approached that game because, like, honestly, mate, I, I don't know about you, I was thinking this is going to be a 60-70-point mm, yeah. blowout. Yep. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting though, Justin, because you touched on the maturity of Bowden Barrett and there was a point there in that first 10 minutes where you thought, 
people where the Blues are going to buy into trying to play the same way. They're going to lose their structure. They're probably going to lose their impetus a little bit. And there was a point there where I think Fiji scored early and you could see the Blues in the circle and Bowden Barrett, you sort of sensed the message was stick to the game plan here. Let's not buy in and play that their ad hoc sort of un, slightly unorthodox style. We've still got to do the basics right. And I think that's what I've seen from the Blues this year is that ability to make decisions under pressure, that ability to change the game plan. Absolutely, and you've got to be, you've got to get into the grind. And I know that sounds so cliche, but you do. You, you, sometimes you've just got to get into the grind. And I think at the end of the game, um, you know, in terms of a summary, I was thinking, right, how do I summarise this game? And, and funnily enough, the way things eventuated, I didn't didn't get the opportunity to do that. But what I, I kind of felt like I wanted to say was, you know, if I'm if I'm Leon and I'm Bowden Barrett and I'm those leaders of that Blues team, I'm sitting in that changing room probably not that happy with the way that the game unfolded so I'm kind of a bit disappointed and I think the messages from the players that spoke after the game were a bit along that that line of mm, you know what that that kind of wasn't the way we wanted that 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 game to play out uh you know and and there's going to be some criticism and rightly so and we we, we didn't help ourselves if that makes sense so we didn't help ourselves the way that the afternoon unfolded but what I was kind of thinking in, in a summary was, and this is very coming from a very sort of like Crusaders and sometimes for me with the All Blacks uh, background is when you get into the grind, you get you, you the good teams and teams that are going to win championships simply get the job done. Mm. They get what they went into that game mm. to achieve, and it doesn't look pretty sometimes, but they still manage to get everything out of that game that they wanted to get out of it before the, before that that, that uh, whistle was blown. And the Blues did that. They got their bonus point. They got the job done. It didn't look good, but still they got into a grind, but they didn't suffer the, the consequences of a poor performance by either losing or not getting the bonus point or whatever. And sometimes you've just got to do that yeah. because the opposition demand it. Yeah, and look, I think every New Zealand side probably would have struggled a little bit against that Fijian performance. And you've got to expose yourself to that style. I mean, sometimes you've got to learn how to lose before you learn how to win. And what I mean, you've got to sort of face, well, hang on a minute, that boy didn't quite expect that. And hey, now we're better for that experience. And if I think if the Blues still play them again next week, I think we would see a more, um, yeah, a more polished performance from the Blues. Probably tactically as well. You know, like... Um... I think I was mentioning when I was um, commentating the game, the you know, th- th- things that can unsettle you are things in, in areas where you're kind of not expecting them, like kickoffs. It's like the Blues got no memento whatsoever off kickoffs. No. And, you know, there were points, there were tries scored, uh, and that result. And when there is a game like that that's got you know a bit of scoreboard um, ticking over going on, then there, there, there is a lot of kickoffs, and that's where you get you reset yourself. They they lost that showdown big time so that, that was a big problem for them so tactically they would go mm, okay look this is where they were kicking we didn't get that right on the day why didn't we uh, they were competing there maybe we put somebody else in that area and we secure our kickoffs and then we get ourselves reset and that all of a sudden off kickoffs we've got the ball around you know the, the 50 meter line um, which is you know not a deep kick which they were getting kicked to a lot they win that kickoff they structure they set they phase a couple of times then they kick deep and they keep pegging the drawer back, but it didn't work for them that way. So 
Yeah, absolutely. Analysis-wise, they'll learn a lot uh, from from that game, and they'll rethink about the way they approach certain areas of the game uh, tactically. And you're you're better for it. And saying that, so would the opposition be. Like, let, let, mate, what I let's face it, like fourteen points that the Blues scored. Now you, you subtract that from the end scoreline. One was an intercept. Well, two two were basically intercepts. One from AJ Lamb, where it bounced on the ground and he. It sat right in his bread basket and he ran away and scored. And Rico Ioane's intercept. Both of those were scored underneath the post. That's 14 points. You take those two opportunist tries out of the equation and you've got a really, 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 really tight game. It is 11 and a half minutes after one. You are listening to the Bunnings Trade Rugby Rundown. Uh, Mark Watson with you alongside of me, or is out of Melbourne, Justin Marshall. If you do have a um, question or you wish to phone the programme, 0800 150 You can text us here on double eight double three. Justin, I was watching Roger Tuivasa Sheik like a lot of people last night. Um, clearly, fairly quiet game. I thought the Fijians did a really nice job of containing both him and Bowden Barrett. My only concern was a lot of the tackles that I saw him sort of attempting or being in involved and he still seems to have this natural inclination to want to go high more around you know more above the waist than below the waist um, and you know I think he put his hand up when they lost that very first game against the Hurricanes in the last minute when Artie scored where he basically missed that tackle um, how much of a concern is that um, how much of a work on or am I not am I not seeing everything here no I think you're right I thought he's quite quiet I expected him to get more space. Uh, I thought this was a game for him to be able to go out and probably express himself and get a real feel for the game. Um, but I think he probably, and in general, like many of the Blues players, got called out by the physicality of of, of the drawer. You know, the Fijian players are often known as having massive flair. Um, you know, that unpredictable factor that was, was spoken about. But physically... They, they dominated. They really did. And if we go all the way back to last year and everyone was like scratching their head going, God, what are the All Blacks up to? <laughs> why are they not dominating this game Because uh, against Fiji? Why are, they, why are they struggling? It's because they got, they got caught out a little bit about how far the Fijian game has come in terms of taking away from that flair, having to be physical and, and needing to be physical. And... I certainly thought that Roger, along with a few other Blues players, they, they, they weren't getting shoulders on. They weren't dominating tackles. They weren't knocking the Fijians back. In fact, it was the other way around. Those guys were literally at contact area, powering through tackles. They weren't allowing the Blues to get shoulders on. And like I, I thought the game the weekend before was one of the most physical games I've seen between the Crusaders and the Blues. And the Blues... First, definitely in the first half, won that physical battle. In this game here, they certainly did not win the physical battle over 80 minutes. And when you don't do that, it gets you on the back foot. And I certainly thought that probably, you know, Roger, two of us, Sheik, has never, ever probably experienced that before. Yes, he's come up in big rugby league games where he's come up against a very physical side. Like, let's face it, he played for this for the Roosters. They, they're a physical pack. Um but, you know, probably the only team that I can think of that some in their heyday when they had the Burgess brothers and everything going well for them was the, the Rabbitohs, where he probably came up against the physical side. But he de- he had to deal with it in a different capacity from fullback. So, yeah, look, I'm, I'm, I'm not so convinced that it's his tackle technique. I think it's probably 
um, coming up against the side. Because let's face it, like I, in general, in the broader scheme of things, across the board, and you know we're probably going to get a thousand calls from rugby league enthusiasts <laughs> after this, but anyway, we'll roll with the punches, Watto. Um, rugby players are built slightly bigger. Yeah, they certainly are in the backs, yeah. and and you know I, I know that from personal experience, having spent um, and I, I, I you know I do like rugby league and follow rugby league, and and but a lot of the guys that I've come across, I've come across. Um, who play rugby league internationally or for the Warriors or for Australian teams physically are a, a bit slighter, um, particularly in the back line. So he probably hasn't come across big guys like the Fiji Truer had last night. You know, these guys are all over nearly some of the outside backs, are all over 100 kgs, run fast, run hard, and are powerful. And that probably just caught him out a little bit. Yeah, uh, Justin. Just one other thing, and I, I'm keen to get your thoughts on this because I'm talking about the halfbacks, and that's the feeding into the scrum. They had Spider Cam on last night. What is the ruling in regards to where the halfback needs to put the ball into a scrum? Because it's starting to more and more look like a rugby league scrum at times in terms of the feed. Um, it's almost directly underneath either the tight head or the loose head, or times it almost looks like they're putting it into the second row. What is the official ruling on that? And a referee's starting to get a little bit loose in that area. Uh, and I say that because when you're when you're a scrum that's under pressure, i.e. Fiji, we're under pressure. We've seen how much um, Moana Pacifica have struggled sometimes at scrum time. They just want to get the ball out of the scrum quickly. And it's certainly an advantage if, um, you know, the feed into the scrum, uh, you, you know, you, you can get the ball out quickly and therefore you're just putting the ball in, um, you know, in favour of your team. Absolutely, yeah. And, and look, the, the referees go through phases in terms of officiating that, and I've been through that palaver, to be perfectly honest. And, um, you know, they're, they're very sometimes subjective in the way that they look at it, which is fine. Um, you know, technically, as the law is, the ball's supposed to be put right in the middle. Um, but I don't think I've ever, ever seen that happen. Uh, so usually there's a little bit of leniency in the way that you feed the scrum. Uh, and, you know, we, we, we went through, do you remember we went through that phase where, and I went through this phase as well, and I was just like, it, it completely bemused me, to be perfectly honest. And, one of my good teammates and, and you know, a good, good mate of mine, but God, he used to piss me off, was Mark Hammett. And he was insistent on me banging his hand on top of the scrum before I put the ball into the scrum. But when you're talking about like a, a scrum engaging and a hit, so basically the, you know, the referee goes engage and bang, they go together. And then he wanted me to lift the ball up to the top of the scrum and bang the top of his hand so that he knew that I was standing there but then drop the ball all the way down to the bottom again and then try and get it in. And in that in that time, he was counting in his mind, one, two, three. So it's like I go up and bang his hand. That's already, And then this is on the engage. And then he's going, in his mind, he's going one, two, three. So I'm going bang down to the ground, rolling it in. And on the three, his foot's coming out and he's striking it. I was just thinking, man, that's so complicated. But that was his rhythm. So, and, and then you saw all of a sudden you saw it a lot. You know, you remember the days you saw the halfbacks banging in the top of the absolutely. So, yeah, yeah, and that's the way that 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 worked, and why it was working because people were out there are probably thinking, what the hell are they doing that for? Mm. Um, and that was all. But that's all about timing, and it's all about on that on that moment where you depower your front row. So because you have when the hooker puts his foot out for that strike that's when you lose obviously you know one leg one one pushing component of that front row and that's where your 
the most vulnerable. Everyone else is working. Everyone else has got two feet on the ground and pushing, but the hooker has to lift his foot to strike the ball. So that's when you're most susceptible to being, you know, turned over. And that's the moment that everyone was trying to get right. So, you know, look, the best I ever saw and experienced with it was, was Fitzy. Um, I know you asked me an officiating question. Um, it, it varies, and it always will do. Uh, look, ultimately, I've always been an advocate, and, and, and people will, will, will have Barneys until 3 a.m. in the morning, and I don't care. I'm happy to do those who will say, it needs to be a contest. It's not fair. You know, it needs to be down the middle. That's the law, blah, blah, blah. But I'm thinking to myself, and I've always felt this way, that the officiating should be, we're, we've got a scrum because you made a mistake. We've just defended 20 phases and then you knocked the ball on. We've worked hard. We, we know that it's a contest at the scrum and if you've got a strong scrum, that's fine. But give us a little bit of freedom to say, we've worked hard. We've got our synergy. One, two, three, bang. Hooker's vulnerable. Let us strike the ball. Look, if it goes slightly down our side of the scrum, well, we feel that we've earned it. And when a referee pings you for not putting it down the middle. Yeah, put it this way, mate. Luckily, I wasn't um, mic'd up when the referee used to penalise me for an incorrect feed. It is 20, it is 20 minutes after one. You're listening to the Bunny the Bunning Trade Rugby Run. Justin Marshall alongside of myself, Mark Watson, taking your calls. If you've got any calls or questions for Justin, 0800 150 811. You can text us here on double eight double three at Bunnings Trade. Helping business is our trade. Uh, far better looking than uh, Ricardo Ball. Well, no, he's actually got much better hair than I have. I've always sort of wanted the whole rock star look thing, but it just doesn't quite work. I'm not sure my wife would appreciate Anyway, out of Melbourne, we've got Justin Marshall. Justin, Justin, Justin. Sat there last night, desperately hoping that the Reds weren't going to beat the Hurricanes, but when they were 17 points to nil down, I thought, ooh, they might just get one mm. up on us. How are the Reds feeling this morning psychologically, being up 17 points to nil, and then not being able to match the th- the following 30 points that the Hurricanes put on the board. How much psychological damage was done to the Reds last night? I would have thought quite a lot. Uh, there was quite a lot made of the exclusion, and, and I, myself included, of James O'Connor out of the Reds side, who's out for about a month, I believe. Um, I thought that him being missing and his direction was going to be uh, I, I wouldn't allow them to get into their rhythm and wouldn't allow them to be able to play with the efficiency that a, that a master general can effectively can control a game. Um, when they started the game, they started the game with real tempo. They were causing the, the Hurricanes problems with the way that they were hitting the contact zone and in particular offloading and in the tackle and getting in behind them and they look really fluid and they look good. There's always going to be a, a counter-attack, and there was from the Hurricanes, and it came by a fluke, to be perfectly honest. Julian Severe stepping in and batting the ball down, and then Balin Sullivan runs away, and all of a sudden the Hurricanes out of nowhere find themselves back in the game. That point in time when you're standing underneath the posts and everybody gets together, that's where that general, that leadership... You know, Tate McDermott, I think, is one of the better... Uh, halfbacks going around the world at the moment. He's very, very good, and he will feature massively for the Wallabies and in Dave Rennie's plans. I don't have any doubt about that. But the, 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 you get you can see a smaller picture at nine because your head is really focused on 
the, the objective of what's right in front of you, which is the breakdown. So attend, sees more, sees the structure, sees what's in front of the, the team, understands the tempo of the game, understands the pitches that the defence is showing you because he can see it. And I think when they started to uh, launch their counter-attack, the Hurricanes, the Reds didn't uh, launch their own counter-attack or um, combat that. And they they really lacked leadership. And the, the Hurricanes, once they got momentum, which is a real positive for them, you know, guys like Geordie and Artie and TJ Perinata really stepped up and and have been there before. A lot of their players wouldn't have played in Australia before. Uh, and those key guys to the Hurricanes really stepped up. You look across that red side, can you can you tell me, apart from James O'Connor, really, you know, is Hunter Paisami going to dictate things? Is Dungunu, mm. Vunivalu? You know, where, is those, where is that type of player? You know, even to, to a degree, you know, um, Harry Wilson. You know, yes, Wallaby, but you tell me one of the other guy that's going to grab that game by the scruff of the neck for the Reds. Mm. I, 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 I challenge you to do that. 0800 is the number. Texas here on double eight double three. You use the word lack direction. You talked about James O'Connor. You've talked about Bowden Barrett and the direction he brings. Now, for most of us at home, when we think of the first five in direction, we think about really a very narrow definition of it. Okay, when to pass and when to kick. But what is the true definition of direction when we talk about that coming from an experienced player? It's getting a real feel and vibe for the game. And it's understanding what's working and what's not working. And I think Bowden was really, like I said, I thought he was really good in his interview last night where he he said, look, they were unpredictable. We knew that. We knew they were going to be like that. So he's, he's basically saying we've spent a week under Leon and the rest of the coaches. Okay, how do we prepare for these blokes? These blokes? We've never played them before. Um, we know what their strengths are going to be. Yes, they're going to be unpredictable. We can cannot control that. So, all right, let's think about the way that we um, control the game ourselves when we can dictate. We need to get that right. Otherwise, we'll keep inviting them into the game. And and I think that's exactly the same for the Reds. Like when the Reds recognise the Hurricanes changed the tempo of the game because they were after twenty minutes they weren't even in it. They were really struggling, and. That's where, where a good player understands and gets a feel for the game, you know. And I, I played with some geniuses, to be perfectly honest, you know, um, with the likes of Andrew Mertens, Dan Carter, Carlos Spencer, Spencer, guys that knew and felt the way the game was unfolding. And they would, when we've got a pattern of where we're going to play. So for people, for the listeners out there, a pattern might be for this particular game inside our own half. So from that sort of 60-metre mark out, when we are playing the Reds, they drop their wingers back or they sit their fullback on this side or whatever. They're vulnerable. And so we go into the game and we go, we're going to go at them here. They're they probably going to think we're going to kick, but they're really exposed on defence. We're going to phase there and we're going to phase, 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 and that's where we're going to hurt them. And that's, that's your premeditated plan. But a good 10, when the game doesn't unfold that way, will see that not eventuating and we'll then grab the game by the scruff of the neck and go, hey, look, I know the pattern was we're going to phase here, but their wingers are flatter than we thought they were. I'm going to kick this. And it's primarily the responsibility of the first five. Yep, 
that is. And and, and obviously, yeah. you know, when you play with players of great experience, you know, like again, I played with some I'm very lucky to play with some great players, but one that I think of in, in recent times that I played a, only a, a small amount of time with, but people com- completely always agree had a really good mind for the game was someone like Conrad Smith because yeah. Yeah. from centre, yeah, he could see things and, yeah. and he had an, a, a, a really acute mind for what was unfolding around his area. And, 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 and I, that was... Yeah, yeah and, and sorry, Justin, I sort of sense that Jack Goodyear is sort of in that yep. space. Yep, absolutely. And, and those types of players, they'll feed back the information. You know, Snakey would go feed the information back into DC saying, mate, they are turning in massively um, and they have re- their line speed's really quick. There's space outside mm-hmm. me. This is how we need to manipulate that, you know? Go for the cross kick or bring the fullback in late. I'll just run a decoy, blah, blah, blah. Those types of players, their, their knowledge is invaluable for a team because... He, he sometimes can get that pressure of he he receives a pass, his peripheral vision, he goes to pivot and throw that pass and all he can see in his eye line is defenders that have rushed up and come from outside in and he's thinking, oh my God, I, I can't throw that pass. And then if you've got a good centre who's aware, he will say, use me as a decoy, they'll turn it on me, but hit the fullback late and deep and he'll be in space. And that's game management. That's finding ways that you've analysed during the week of areas you thought would be exposed but let's think about it to the, to the listeners out there and, and everybody analyses the game, so is the opposition <laughs> so they've gone oh we usually do this in that 60 metre zone um, and they'll be they'll be doing all their video analysis so no, let's not do that, let's bring the winger up and then let's show the paint a different picture for them. So for all your hard work and watching video after video after video, you've got to have your own natural instinct for the game and your own vision to go, no, that's not working, I need to change it. And if you stay robotic, everyone suffers. The team suffers, you suffer, and you can't get, dig yourself out of the hole. And good players can do that. And a James O'Connor could have helped the Reds last night. But a players in this modern era have been sort of starting to lose that natural feel and instinct and maybe not understanding direction for the fact that now you've got so many water boys on the field, you've got so many physios, the messages have been you know, relayed from upstairs in the coaching box. I mean, are our players still empowered to make their decisions? Do they grow up... Um, you know, trying to read the game or have we sort of moved to a model now? Well, hey, someone's going to tell me that, hey, this is what they're doing. I'm worried about it. I, I really am. Yeah, well and said, well said. A classic, and, and a classic example is the, the, the Hurricanes game. I was just like, what the hell is going on here? Like, honestly, the Hurricanes game against the Crusaders and Artie was kind of looking at the touchline and then, you know, uh, CJ, Corey Jane was on the field and everyone was looking up to the coach's box, and, yep. and I was like, "Are they kicking for goal? Are they going for touch?" Yep. And no, it, it was like, "Who's out there? Who, who? When you when you're out there, you have that that instinct for the game. You know you you know yourself. Adi Savia is too experienced to not know. We're we're tired. We are, we've just been working. We've fought our way back into this game." But we're tired. We're yeah, fatigued. Yeah, Justin, it's and almost we're going to kick for goal. Yeah, it's almost like they they know what to do, but it's almost like they need yeah. someone to reaffirm it, some affirmation. 
Yes, exactly, and it shouldn't be that way. Yeah. The, the, the yeah. player should, the play, senior players should be able to say, you know, he should be able to say to his hooker and his jump, his key line out guy, you know, you, you, you reverse it to, you say it's Sam Whitelock and Cody Taylor, and they go, mate, we're going line out because mm. this has been working for us all day. Um, we we're happy to turn down the kick. You don't want the the message coming from up top because they haven't just done ten minutes of hard work to yep. fight the way back into the game. Looked in the eyes of the opposition, seeing they got their hands on their hips, their heads yep. are down because they're stuffed. Mm. And you know that's that's really in a nutshell. And, and you know it was a really good question, mate. You, know, you, you hit it bang on. Oh, New Zealand's everyone talks about Fiji and flair, and, and that was very evident last night. And that's because that's the way Fiji play the game. Everyone talks about the French. Oh, the French flair when they come out and they run out there, they've got this ability to play the game on their day. On their day is always the word. I used to, used to worry me because I was like, mm, I hope that day's not today when I'm playing them. Was that, was that, you know, if they turn up, they can be, you know, world beaters. We, New Zealanders, have a skill set and a mindset for the game that is completely uncoachable. Yeah. We have skills that yeah. a lot of other rugby players do not have. Yeah. And I really hope that's not being coached out of us to be robots. Yeah, it's, a, it's a funny thing, Justin, because I look at a lot of uh, individual endurance type athletes and part of why we've been always so mm. successful is that she'll be right attitude, you know, yeah. um, that quintessential New Zealand. And yes, you want to tap into the resource that Europe has. Yes, you want to tap into sports science, but you never, ever want to let that inherent quality that is uniquely no. New Zealand leave an athlete's mindset because it does give us our point of difference. You can't get away with it purely now. That's not going to be enough to get you across the line, but it is something that you cannot buy. It's something that another country um, cannot get the IP from because it's an inherent thing. It's a cultural thing. It's who we are. Hey, look, I, I, that, uh, great answer and a really, really good discussion. Justin Marshall is my guest. Well, not my guest, my co-host. I'm the guest, to be fair. I'm the guest. Justin show. I'm the guest. 0800 150 is the number. You can text us here on double eight double three. This is the Bunning Trade Rugby Run. Do, do, doing well, Ben. I was going to ask Justin what he thought of your music taste, but you can't bag Led Zeppelin, and I wouldn't want Justin Marshall to be in the papers for all the wrong reasons. Very hard to dislike Led Zeppelin. Justin Marshall out of Melbourne, 0800 150 Justin, just going back to that Hurricanes performance last night over the Reds, 30 points to 17. Oh, to me, I think the Hurricanes look a better side when Geordie Barrett was playing at second 5-8. Last night he played fullback. Your thoughts? We, we spoke yesterday about the importance of players playing in one position and not just becoming sort of utilities. Um, what did you think of Barrett at fullback versus second 5-8? I thought it took him 40 minutes to get into the game. Uh, he's just an efficient, quality player, Geordie Barrett, and he's never going to let you down. You know, he's he's so proficient in all the areas of the game that wherever you stick him, he's he's going to he's going to stick there and he's going to do a good job. And I, I, I thought though, after having a couple of weeks at uh, 12 last night, he just his balance was slightly off. He just wasn't getting into the game as much because let's face it, you're you're operating in a different part of the field. You're, you're 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 not injecting yourself in the way that you are in the midfield, as composed as opposed to being kicked the ball, um, having that broad vision from fullback of the whole field, uh, and, and being able to then sort of pick your moments. And I think it just took him a little bit of time to re 
think about how he gets himself into the game. Massively noticeable, Watto, when he came out of the, out after the halftime um, changing shed chat, and all of a sudden he was massively involved in the game, and all of a sudden he was a first, second receiver. They pretty pretty much predominantly went to him as their kicking option, the, the Hurricanes, when they needed to. He was the, there's one stage there he actually he hit the ball up hard um, off a kickoff and then somebody else carried but he got back to his feet dropped back behind into the 22 and then kicked so he he, he really got himself back into rhythm um, more so in the second half I took it I think it took him a little bit of adjustment now people out there be going mm, hang on mate you know like he still was very good and he didn't do anything wrong I remember him taking some quality high kicks in that first half. Yes, absolutely. I agree with you. I'm not going to argue that point. But again, it goes back to, like you said, the point that we were making is the reason that Geordie Barrett got to the the level that he did as a fullback is because he just played there week after week after Mm. week and he got the rhythm. Now he's been messed around again. And and this is not a slight by any means on Jason Holland. When I say messed around, I, I mean like they had to plug... Uh, what they thought was a hole, where Balen Sullivan was, mm, is he quite there? Umaga Jensen, you know, who, who do we put in there? Oh, bang, we'll put Geordie there, and we know what we're going to get. And they got awesome world-class quality. But for the player, he has to adjust. Defensively, it's a different mindset. Attacking-wise, it's a different mindset. You're utilised in a different way. It's It doesn't matter how good you are. It doesn't matter whether it's his brother, Bowden, when he switches between 10 and 15. It will take you a little bit of time to readjust. Not healthy, I don't think. Justin Wright, one of the big um, frustrations for me, and I think frustrations for a lot of people, and that is the advantage rule. Now, two different <laughs> two, two, two different opportunities. So you knock on and they yeah. play the advantage, and I think they take that too far at times. Um, so I'm going to ask you the question at the end in terms of how many phases should an advantage be, but also when there is the penalty advantage and the opposition is in your half and the advantage is going the opposition's way, it's almost like if they'll let it go and go, but really, unless you score points, we're going to come back and pay the original penalty. Should we have a certain number of phases that the referees need to adhere to before we come back to either the knock-on or to the penalty? Because it seems to be a lot of time wasted and a hell of a lot of rugby, which ends up being ultimately meaningless. And how often, realistically, when you concede a penalty uh, just inside your half, does an opposition team score? and yet they can go phase after phase after phase for only to come back and play that penalty originally. I don't think it's good for the game. I'm so glad you brought that up because I, I totally agree. And it's a bit of a, a, a blight on the game at the moment. And I'm, what, what, this is going to kind of... Pe- people out there might be thinking, where's he going here? But I, I actually think the problem with the referees is they're mandated. So they're, they're mandated... And they, they might say this. They might get the, the, the captains in the tunnel, they're shaking hands and they flip the coin, like good old days, and decide which way they're going to play and whether they want to kick off. But they'll also have that moment where they speak to the front rowers and tell them about their timing and the engagement. And they'll also say, when I play advantage, I'm going to play advantage, blah, blah, blah. Um, and that might be four phases. A penalty advantage, it might be five. Um, a knock-on, it might be two passes. And then... I'm going to play on. What they're not doing is referees can't referee at this level without knowing the game. They've got they they actually do have 
good common sense. So what a referee should be able to do is go, they have got no advantage after, and they're not going to get any, boom, go back for the penalty. I'm not going to let it play out for six phases because they've obviously gone backwards. There's been no breach in the line. There's been no real advantage here. I'm going to go back. Or they can see, man, there's tempo here. They've gone bang, bang. They're over the advantage line. The, the, the opposition's scrambling. I'm going to let them go another couple of phases, and that's going to be the maximum. The classic one to work it out is the, 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 the one where they do a knock-on advantage and the opposition get it, and then they immediately... If somebody kicks, the referee, you'll hear him say, advantage over. And sometimes the kick is an absolute shocker that brings the opposition um, back into the game. Because that was that the case in the, it was by, a case in that Crusaders-Chiefs game, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah massively. And, and because, But they think to themselves, oh, the ball's in the air and it's gone 30 or 40 metres. That's your advantage. But, you know, like the, the, another one was the one where um, the Highlanders had an advantage in Dunedin um, ben O'Keefe was refereeing, and he, the, 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 the Hondas hacked it down the middle of the field. The Hurricanes, or I think it was the Hurricanes or the Crusaders, can't remember what the game was, got the ball and attacked and scored in the corner. And I'm thinking, um, advantage? That's not advantage. But the referee's compelled to go, oh, the ball's in the air. It's going about 30, 40 metres down the field. You've had your advantage. So in, in a nutshell, what I'm trying to say is what you need, they need to do is, again, have their natural instinct of what's happening in front of them. Don't be mandated by the fact, I, I said to you before the game that I'm going to give you five phases for a penalty advantage, and you're watching it unfold in front of you, thinking, that's three. Yeah, gone crossfield. That's four phases, gone crossfield again. And everyone's going, um, there's no advantage here. Just look at what's happening in front of you and go, no, not working, yep. we're going back. And, and I think that's probably the problem. Don't be so regim regimented that you feel that you have to stick to what you said. Again, referees, if you, you've got an instinct for the game. You can see what's unfolding in front of you. Just rule on it. Justin Marshall, Mark Watson, taking your calls on 0800 150 811. We'll take a break. We'll come back with more. If you've got any thoughts, you can phone us on 0800 150 811. You can text us on double eight double three. Mornings with the... In today's Voltaren Rapid 25 wrap-up. Yes, there are a few battered and bruised bodies, but the Blues came through their clash against Fiji and Drua unscathed on Saturday night. Now, their win over the Drua means the Kiwi sides are three from three against their Aussie counterparts this weekend. The Reds did come close to beating the Hurricanes, but the Wellington franchise scored 30 unanswered points to secure a very, very good victory. Now, the Highlanders and Crusaders, they're both in action today against the Brumbies and the Rebels, respectively, and great to see Jack Goodyear returning. Now, Goodyear will make his first appearance of the season Season after recovering from an ACL injury for the Crusaders, and fellow All Blacks veteran Lock Sam Whitelock, Sam Whitelock also returns from a broken finger. Looking forward to that. Don't let back pain get in the way. Get fast relief with Voltaren Rapid Twenty Five. Directed. If symptoms persist, see your doctor. Incorrect use may be harmful. Do not use if you have stomach ulcers. GSK Auckland. And we are approaching almost two o'clock. Justin Marshall alongside of me. Uh, Justin, after two, we'll certainly preview those games. The Crusaders taking on the Rebels and that mouthwatering clash. The Highlanders um, taking on the Brumbies. Which game are you calling? Uh, the Crusaders won, so the later game. Um, but yeah, absolutely, mate. It's Look, it's fascinating, isn't it? You're right. The New Zealand teams have dominated so far, but 
I, I really enjoyed that Blues Drua game. I thought it was a really entertaining game of rugby, and the Drua were, were super competitive. Um, and then obviously that you mentioned the Hurricanes game, which went went, you know, the balance of it completely shifted after about 20 minutes, and they dominated. But seeing those, you know, new faces and and that that, that different theory of the way to play the game was great and, and we're only going to get more of that this afternoon that Highlanders Brumbies game is I think I said yesterday so I've got to be really careful here <laughs> I think I said yesterday the Hurricanes and the Reds is probably the round of the weekend um, but later on the Crusaders Rebels will be really entertaining too I think Okay we'll take your calls after 2 o'clock on 0800 150 Texas here on double eight double three. more Super Rugby to come Lovely to have you on the programme, Mark Watson, alongside of me, Justin Marshall. Just a reminder, too, at Bunnings Trade, we're here to make your job easier because helping businesses our trade. We, uh, Justin, we've got Dave from Palmy who phoned through the programme just before two. He's phoned back, so we'll go to Dave. Afternoon to you, Dave. G'day, Bordo. G'day, Marcy. Hey, um, G'day, Dave. I watched uh, both games. La- G'day, mate. <coughs> I watched both games last night. Uh, Found this, I am a Canes fan. I found the second one a, a lot more entertaining. You know, with the with the old flair factor, I think um, with the Blues they they missed Popoli and Romano starting. You know, um, and as far as uh, you know, the lucky tries, Justin. You know, Talia, I reckon he left two, maybe three tries out there with handling. You know, he's not on his game at the moment for one reason or another. Um, RTS, he's, he's struggled. He's, he's tackled big guys in league, but you're right. I think Watto's right with his technique. You know, something's not right. And Like JK says, we've only got 18 games to the World Cup. If he's going to be there, he needs to improve big time. You know, he's got Joe Smith up there coaching him, so it's a big influence. But he does, I think, personally, he needs to improve a lot. Uh, with the Canes game... You know, you got seeds about being 17-0 down. Justin, I know you were in uh, Dublin in 2013 when we were 19-0 down with the All Blacks. And we came back um, that day because I had a beer with you after the game in a pub. Um, <laughs> so the, you know you can do it. You can get the points and you've got to play that game. I think they missed Jordan Pattaya more than they missed um, O'Connor his, uh, last night. You know, um, at the back there, he's he's probably, for mine, the best Aussie player going around. Um, and Geordie, I, I just think he's got to play at 12, you know. I think he played in the under-20s at 12, and then down in Canterbury before he came to the Canes, he was at 12, and he seems to naturally play there better. And look, we've got Will Jordan at 15. We don't need Geordie at 12 if he's on the field. and something happens to Jordan, well, we've got Geordie to back him up, or even D-Mac for that that reason, but um, hey, as far as the flair, the Canes play pretty much the same way, and I think they'll do the best against Fiji um, out of the New Zealand teams. Yeah, mate, look, I, I, I totally agree, and, and you've made some really valid points. Um, I, I certainly think that the Blues did leave some points out there, and, and you're right in saying that, um, and you know, that's going to happen in games where, you know, there are opportunities and, and when they're rare because the opposition are playing well, you've got to grab those opportunities. And uh, yeah, the Blues didn't help themselves, I guess, by when they did create things, they did make the odd unusual error that they not they hadn't been making. And I wonder just whether or not that was a a mindset thing. Uh, again, like you, like you mentioned, which is, again, is rightly so. You know, they did have a lot of changes and some younger players out there that 
might have got a little bit uh, sort of overwhelmed by the situation and how the opposition were playing. Um, in terms of the Hurricanes, yeah, I go back to that earlier point we were talking about, like, and, and even the the one uh, the test match you were mentioning in Ireland, Ireland, and I remember that beer well, mate. Um, it went to the dark hours, to be perfectly honest. But what 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 scoreboard pressure does is make players instinctively change the way that they're playing because they get desperate. And and I remember this conversation with Scott Robertson uh, the other night here in Melbourne. I went out and had a beer with him, and I said to him. And, and he, he didn't want to buy into it, to be honest. And I understand why he didn't to, He didn't want to. But I said to him, when you got desperate in that game against the Blues, you looked better. You looked like the players looked like they were just playing on instinct and Severy Reese was all over the place and Will Jordan was a first receiver. And guys were just looking like they were, they were playing like they would in the backyard because you were chasing the game. And I said, you looked... Even though you've lost a little bit of structure, the players look like they were aware of what they needed to do out there to get back in the game. And uh, the Hurricanes flicked a switch last night as well because they were, structurally, they were well out of the game. And then, you know, Artie said, you know what, we're going to take the line out. We're not going to kick a goal. He came into the game. Geordie in the second half came into the game. TJ really stepped his game up. But they stepped it up because they were massively being outplayed. And then they just looked like they opened up their eyes and just played with freedom. And if they play like that and are given the license to play like that, I totally agree with you. They can go a long way in this competition. Both sides, all the New Zealand sides can. Dave, lovely to have you on the program. Thank you. If you want to join Dave, uh, be part of the discussion. And I think talk back's better when you do phone the program. 0800 150 uh, Look, Justin, I-, I wear my heart on my sleeve. I- I'm a blues boy um, and I love Mount Abbott Grammar School and I love what schoolboy rugby does and I love hearing my the school school being called out, etc. However, I'm going to be intrigued with the Crusaders game this afternoon because I've young Corey Callow, um, Ironman triathlon Cameron Brown. It's his nephew, and I've watched Corey grow up. And I think I was talking to you, and I think you mentioned the fact that he came out of Lincoln University, and you celebrated that. Is But as commentators, and I hear this all the time, we never reference their clubs anymore. Anytime a player comes on, it's always the school they've come from now. It never used to be that way in the 80s and the 90s. It's always the club, and now it's the school. Is that... Basically, us waving the white flag, saying now that club rugby is no longer relevant, that schoolboy is now the stepping stone. That's a good point you make, um, and you're absolutely right. I did mention it. <laughs> My son's at Lincoln, so uh, you know that, the, the, and they're so tight. My, that club scene is amazing, and I kind of got a bit more of an appreciation for it after, like you say, you look from the the outside, and and all you do see is is the schools rugby, the college stuff, and you kind of think that that's a stepping stone and you and you, you forget about club rugby being the grassroots of our game. And, you know, the fact that he was so proud, um, this is my son, of, and, and he, he only sees, he only sees these guys in the club, you know, because, you know, they produced Lincoln in recent times, you know, Geordie Barrett came out of Lincoln, Jack Goodhue just recently, you know, they, they, they produced some All Blacks, but um, he was, so proud that the guy was a, from the Lincoln Rams. It's like, oh, it's another Lincoln Rams. It's another Lincoln Rams. So there, there's that, that grassroots feel of it's my club and he's out there. And you know what the big thing about it is, Watto, is that that's the heart and soul of our game. Absolutely. And when a club player can see 
a guy that he sees at training, they're under the lights and the lights are shitty and you can't hardly see the ball when it gets kicked up and it's a crappy night and it's club rugby at its very best on a field that's all muddy and you haven't got these immaculate stadiums with the incredible you know um, surfaces that we have now. You've got a good old club field where everyone's slogging it out and you actually really do need a shower after the game because <laughs> you're, you're covered in mud and rain, it's been raining, whatever it might be. And you walk off and you see that guy that's in front of you walking into the changing rooms and next minute he's out there playing for the Crusaders or the Hurricanes or whatever. You believe. Yeah, I, I you believe, believe that you can be him. But also I think club rugby, what that does, it actually takes the size factor out, doesn't it? Which size at school yep. clearly has a big advantage and and the limelight can shine on you because you're big. You get to a club level and then you actually, well, size is not really going to be a factor. It's actually how good a rugby player you are. And I guess that is my concern this afternoon when you are commentating. So if Corey Kello comes on, you can say that he's from the Lincoln Rams. When Jack Good you pl- comes on, you say he's Mount Abbott Grammar, okay? Can you practice that for me, Justin? <laughs> okay? Okay? I, I just, knew that was coming. Well done, mate. That's, well the, done. that's the best of both worlds. Nine minutes after two. We'll take another break. But just a reminder at Bunnings Trade, uh, they're helping businesses um, uh, helping businesses very much their trade. We'll take a break. We'll come back with more. Mark Watson in for Ricardo Ball. Two very good Super Rugby games to look forward to. The earlier game this afternoon, it is the Highlanders taking on the Brumbies. The later game, it's the Crusaders taking on the Rebels. Uh, Justin, the Brumbies, such traditionally just such a hard side to play. Part of that is playing in Canberra, a difficult place to go to. It can be very, very cold. This game is being played in Melbourne. Do the Brumbies lose something by not playing at home? I think everybody's had to adjust, Watto, to be perfectly honest. So, yeah, look, no doubt about it. Canberra's not an easy place to go and, and, and win. Uh, and they're very good at, you know, I, I guess maximising the, 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 the conditions that they have down there. But, uh, you know, equ- equally the Highlanders are out of their comfort zone. They're used to playing under the roof. But I, this Amy Stadium's an incredible stadium, mate. Like, honestly, it's very impressive. The infrastructure there is second to none. Like honestly, I can understand why the Storm are so very good a rugby league side when you see the facility that they have to utilise at their disposal. Um, the field's immaculate, and you know, to be perfectly honest, uh, the Highlanders are probably if they're going to replicate what they get at home, um, this this is not far off it. So yeah, to a degree, the Brumbies are slightly out of their comfort zone, but again, they've been um, playing the Trans Tasman comp. Um, just against the Australian teams that have been travelling, you know, for the last sort of eight weeks, and they'll be very well attuned to um, being in different conditions. So it's really well set up, yeah, this game. Yeah. It, it, it seems to me there doesn't appear to be a lot of depth in forward play in Australia. And look, uh, we all know that rugby is one up front. It's, it's one of the first things you learn about rugby. But do the Highlanders need to adjust their game plan and just be more direct, just pick and go, and, and just look to beat the Brumbies and, and be just more direct than perhaps what you, they would do if they were playing another New Zealand Super Rugby franchise? Usually, yes, absolutely. But they are, at the moment, probably the team that's suffering the most through injuries. Uh, I've um, caught up with Tony Brown the last couple of days and we've had a couple of battles on the squash court. Uh, I won't give you the results of that. No, but... give us the results. Did you want to lose? Oh, look, I went into it with a slightly you can be, dodgy... You can be humble, Justin. You can be humble. I mean, if... Yeah, yeah I'd like to be humble, but I'm <laughs> going to blame the body, to be honest. Tough game, mate. Tough game. Yeah. He's, he's, he's nearly pro. Yeah. So, um, 
it was good having a chat to him and and you know like he's he's just such a good coach and he just has a great understanding for the game and he as he said he's not making any excuses but you, you know you you take the the firepower that he's got on his side out of the mix and then that's including Aaron Smith this weekend you know um Selby Ricketts gone Frizzell's gone Mikaeli Tuu is gone um players that, that that he kind of needs to to try and roll up the sleeves and get into you know that that fight you're talking about forward orientated physical game they can't afford to do that because the Brumbies are a really decent pack so you know then he's kind of faced with the conundrum of right I, I i i probably don't want to get into that type of game which sometimes we'd usually do how how do i get the balance right when I'm still trying to figure out the way that we, we, we want to play and, and be able to move the Brumbies around. So, look, they're more than capable of it. But I don't, I certainly don't buy into the fact that they're going to try and out-physical the Brumbies because I don't think they've got the firepower to do that, mate. OK, let's move on to the Crusaders then. Now, look, everybody's expecting the Crusaders to blow the Rebels off the back. So if you're the Rebels, you come, you have a look at the reputation of the Crusaders, you look at the side on paper... If you to give yourself any chance, we know the New Zealand teams have been better against the Crusaders when they've held on to possession. Uh, you mentioned it, you know, when the Blues uh, got ahead and it was that f- period in the middle of the second half where they started kicking, suddenly the Crusaders got parity and started to get back into the game. How do the Rebels need to play this to give themselves any hope, any chance? Yeah, good point. Look, I, I tried to have this conversation with Razor the other night where I, I was trying to convince him that in, in a certain sort of a way, I was trying to convince them that if you're going to if you're going to lose and you've already lost before against the Chiefs, that was the right time to lose. And he's like looking at me, going, "Well, mate, you're telling me losing to the Blues for the first time in I don't know 50 years." At home. <laughs> no, the last time what, the Blues what, last time the Blues won, we had Benji Marshall in it. Apparently, that's exactly. Is, yeah. is, is, so you're trying to tell me that, that it was that was a good thing? I'm like, oh, no. In a roundabout way, I was trying to say to him. You, the, the players probably needed it at that stage because their rhythm has been unquestionable and they, they, they were ticking away, I think, under the radar, not playing well but still winning games. So at some stage they were going to get bitten and that was not the game that they wanted to get bitten, but they did. And when it bites, it bites hard. Um, and, you know, the history got changed and, and all that sort of stuff. But I think... From a coach's perspective, because of the preparation they do, they do. It was like, well, hmm, did we get this slightly off? Whatever. Mentally, I think it was what the players needed. I think you'll get a reaction from the Crusaders from now on. And you know that that in, that invincible sort of, you know, oh, the Chiefs had a day out, and you know, but we're, we're you know we'll give them that, but we're still good and we're still going to win. Mm-hmm. But the the Blues coming down and doing the same thing to them. I think mentally the players he'll get a he'll get a really good response out of his key players and probably the players that were that were, that were there along for the ride and I say that in a in a nice way thinking yeah that's the Crusaders we're in the Crusaders we win we win trophies that's what we do well maybe we need to think about it a little bit more and roll our sleeves up and get stuck in so I'm expecting unfortunately for the Rebels that they're going to wear that and so are the rest of the Aussie teams as Razor and his players respond 
to that loss to the Blues. I think it's going to be the catalyst for them really launching forward in a big way. Justin, we've got just over five minutes before we go to Eden Park, Ricardo Ball and pick up live coverage of the Phoenix. Um, we've already talked about Lincoln Rams club member Jack Goodyear, Manabit Grammar, old boy Jack Goodyear. What does he bring to this Crusaders team? Is he just, I mean, is he that sort of 0.1% they've been missing? Does he just bring that? We've already talked about it. Does he just bring that game now and that, and just tightens that defence up for the Crusaders that perhaps has been lacking? Hard one because you know being out for basically a year uh, is never easy to find your way back into the game and be a leader uh, in the twelve jersey. I'm scratching my head about yeah. that. Again. Oh, I'm with you. I'm with you. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And he's and a centre. Okay. Yeah, that I'm with you, mate. And so. I'm thinking, oh, well, maybe, you know, that there's that uh, bring him back in, ease him back in in a way that you're more direct, you're more contact in that zone. Um, you know, that outside break, that ability to set your outsides up as a centre uh, is not as important when you're in the 12 jerseys. So maybe they're just trying to get him physically up to speed and into the tempo of the game. At 12, you've got a little bit more traffic, so... You probably uh, probably might be away in the mindset of this is what we're going to introduce you back into the game like. So, in terms of that, I think maybe that's that's what they were thinking. But uh, in terms of a player coming back from an injury for that long uh, and leadership, I think they certainly need him uh, and and his attitude and his competitiveness for the game. But I don't think they'll get that in spades today. I think he'll just be happy to get out there and get through the game, not get injured, do the work, and then you'll start to get the benefits of his experience after that. 22 minutes after two, Justin Marshall alongside of me. Justin, let's just go back to the squash, mate. I'm dying to know about the squash. <laughs> I, I, I have a saying, don't confuse ability with ambition. Were you a metaphor for that on the squash court? Absolutely was a metaphor how for that. Points, yeah. How many points? How many points did you pick up? I was competitive, but uh, the, the the worst thing was the Fiji Drua actually happened to walk, and they're all glass courts, <laughs> it? so they actually happened to come wandering in, and they 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 saw that it was us playing, and they started watching. And I was like very conscious yeah. of the fact that they were standing around, and um, you know the fact that Glenn Jackson's one of the, in their coaching staff, and I've had a few battles with him on the squash court as well. So, look, mate, like 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 a true. Um, Did- do, 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 is there a bit of John McEnroe in you? Or you do you throw the occasional racket? Yeah, and and I let out the odd um, lion-hearted roar as well when things don't go my so, way. So if I was, so if if we, I'm just going to and sorry, I'm just going to play on the whole um, Aaron Smith thing a week earlier. So if you stepped off the squash court and I chucked a microphone and camera in front of your face, do you think you'd be rational? No, it would be irrational, <laughs> and, and I certainly think that you'd have to have that little you know beep 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 yeah. thing coming out too because. I'd probably express myself in a way that was complete uh, frustration. It, it makes you appreciate how good Joel King and Paul Cole are in that sport. Oh, yeah. To be perfectly honest, the, the way that they are both playing, and particularly Paul Cole, um, number one in the world at the moment, man, you, you just get a real appreciation for what you have to go through uh, to, 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 to get to the best in the world. Man, tough sport, tough sport Look, Justin, I've just got two minutes. Quick question I want to ask you. I like to ask um, former athletes who end up in the commentary box. Now that you've been a commentator, you get to watch the game differently. You see it from a plan view week in, week out. You've been up there for, I don't know, 10 years or so. If you could, if you took all the knowledge and all everything that you've learnt and observed in the commentary box and could take it back to the time when you were playing the game, would you be a better player? 
I think I, I'd be a better balanced player. I think I'd probably have a, a, a much more enlightened mindset for it. Uh, you know, like I was quite focused when I was a player on what I was doing out there and probably wound myself up a little bit too much. Yep. I get a certain get appreciation for players who have the time and spend the time and ha- have a mindset of it's just a game and, and they're quite happy to talk the pros and cons of the game. So, yeah, I think probably it wouldn't change the way I played the game, but it certainly would change my mindset and my attitude towards everyone else in the peripheral involved in the game. I, I, I can say that without a shadow of a doubt. Okay, so you've got the Crusaders-Brumbies game. Now, what time's the kickoff? Just for people yeah, listening? Yeah, we've got that this afternoon. I think it's 4.30, 4 o'clock, 4.30 over here. Um, okay. So the first, first game's not that far away. Um, I'm looking forward to it, mate. Like, it's been a really good weekend. This super round yeah. concept is great, and long may it continue. Yeah, no, fantastic. Look, Justin, we'll let you go and do your warm-up protocols. Mummy, moo, moo, mummy, moo. I have one. You've got to be really careful saying it, though. Mrs. Hunt went punting on a rough cut punt, not a punt cut rough, but a rough cut punt. You don't want to get that one wrong, particularly on radio. 100%, and I won't even attempt that. No, no. You want to, you, you, you need to make sure you get that 100% correct, yes. Okay. <laughs> hey, look, Justin, lovely to chat, mate, and uh, all the very best with the call this afternoon. Thanks, mate. Really appreciate it, and thanks to everybody uh, joining us this afternoon. Cheers. Yeah, and just a reminder, too, at Bunnings Trade, uh, we're here to make your job easier because helping business is our trade. So uh, very shortly, we will throw you over to Eden Park. It is the Phoenix plane here in Auckland. Ricardo Ball making his debut as a commentator. Who's he got? Chris Zorizic. Who's he got? Chris Milicic. Chris Milicic alongside of him as well. Special thanks to Ben Francis for putting the show together. If you are travelling around the country, do take care. It's been an absolute privilege and a pleasure. When making the double chicken deluxe at Macca's, we wanted to improve on the perfect combo of tender Aussie chicken with cheese, tomato and aioli. So, we doubled it. Chicken and Macca's together and loving it. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Available after 10.30am for a limited time only.